Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Anything that move, I don't get hold of him. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown! You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right of the week, and we're diving even deeper into the Eagles-Falcons matchup today as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 353. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with my buddy Ben Fennel, where we go inside the matchup against Atlanta. We're going to take an inside look at the creation of this week's episode of Eagles Game Plan and read a full scouting report on one of the up-and-coming players with blue-chip potential at his position in the NFL in scouting report. After that, I want to catch up with a senior writer at For the Win. He spent his entire life following the Atlanta Falcons. That's Charles McDonald. He's going to join me in a brand new segment that I'm calling Faux Focus, where we go behind enemy lines and get the viewpoint of this matchup through their eyes from an analysis standpoint. Charles brings some great insight. He knows this Falcons team inside and out, and I'm excited for you to get his perspective. Before we get there, though, just a couple of things I want to make sure we hit on. First off, as always, rate, review, subscribe. If you've got a question about this Eagles team, about this matchup upcoming, where the state of the team is, or just anything about X's nose in the league in general, go on, find us on Apple Podcasts, find us on Stitcher, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. Also, make sure you go check out the Journey to the Draft podcast. We've recapped week one. We're previewing week two. Make sure you go subscribe. It's a huge NFL draft next spring for this Eagles football team. You want to make sure you are up to date on all of the comings and goings in college football as guys are starting to see their stock rise and fall with college football underway. And also, make sure you go check out Eagles Game Plan. It's going to be a, that's a TV show weekly right here on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Uh, it's released across the Eagles, all of their digital channels on Fridays during the season. And if you live in the Philadelphia area, you can catch it on NBC10 locally. That said, let's get into my discussion with the guy that helps me each and every week here on the show. That's Ben Fennell. It's time now for Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, well, let's get deeper into this matchup here as I welcome in Ben Fennell for Chalk Talk. Ben, uh, our first pregame mat- uh, matchup discussion here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast since last fall. Excited to get into it. Excited for some new football to talk about. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, new football, but a new era here in Philadelphia with Nick Sirianni. And I think there's that kind of optimism and ready to see uh, see what what's, uh, what's in store, which, you know, we kind of kept things close to the vest all summer and preseason games. I think week one, there's a lot of anticipation. Yeah, no question. And look, we every single week, what we'll try and do here in these discussions is we'll touch a little bit on what the focus was for us as producers for Eagles Game Plan this week, which, by the way, uh, again, make sure you go check out Eagles Game Plan. It's dropping over on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, all the Eagles digital channels on Friday. And then if you're local here to Philadelphia, it's on NBC 10, 10 a.m. Sunday morning. So make sure you go and check that out. But uh, Ben, you and I have spent a lot of time over the last couple of weeks getting ready for this matchup and getting ready for this episode. And focusing in on this Eagles offense going up against the Falcons defense. I mean, it was hard to not focus in on the matchup. Jalen Hurts is going to have here this week, a huge test against Dean Pease and a really fun defensive scheme to study. Yeah, no question. But I think the real question is what the identity is going to be of this offense, particularly with Jalen Hurts uh, under center and, you know, how much they're going to lean on the run game and how much they're going to lean on getting the ball out of his hands and letting a lot of these weapons on the outside do some of the dirty work. I'm really interested to see what their bread and butter is going to be. But at the end of the day, who they want to be as an offensive football team. 
No, I think that's fair. And it's just going to be really interesting to see uh, just what the identity is of this team. And again, uh, an end of, we talked about it earlier this week with Greg uh, and Greg broke it down for us on Eagles game plan as well uh, with some film breakdowns. So make sure you go check that out. Uh, but we talked about, well, these are the things that Atlanta will do with Dean Pease. How can Jalen combat that? And you talk about, you know, his athleticism, obviously uh, a, a big tool that he's got in his toolbox, but there are things schematically that you can do against a high pressure team, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, moving the pocket, play action, screen game, you know, just to get the ball out fast. That's a good way to be able to combat that. You know, and at the end of the day, not getting yourself into those dangerous down and distance right. situations. So that's staying on schedule on first and second down and avoiding the third and mediums and long situations that Dean Pease really likes to throw exotic looks, disguises, and blitzes at opposing offenses. So if you could stay on schedule, you're going to keep that defensive approach at bay. And what's a big way to do that is be really efficient in the run game and being emphatic about that. If the Eagles can win uh, the line of scrimmage on that side of the ball, that will go a long way uh, towards success. And then if you flip it, one thing we talked about on the defensive side the Eagles defense, you know, we look, we talked about this Arthur Smith offense. We have an idea. That, that's the thing. I think there has been a lot written, a lot said about how it's new coaching staffs on both sides, you know, the Falcons and the Eagles. I do think that there's a difference, though, because we've seen what an Arthur Smith offense looks like before. He play, he coached under a defensive head coach uh, in Tennessee. That was his offense. Dean Pease, we've seen what his defenses look like. That is a Dean Pease defense so to me i think looking at this it's a little bit that we do have an idea an idea of what the identities are of these two sides of the ball for atlanta well i think it's really interesting because arthur smith coming from the tennessee titans the strength of their team was offensive line and derrick henry so he leaned on the run game and obviously let ryan Tannehill and aj brown capitalize off of play action you look over to the atlanta falcons the strength of this football team may not be the offensive line yep. the strength of the team may not be in the backfield which they have some new bodies back there saying goodbye to Todd Gurley and Devontae Freeman, some guys like that. So it's going to be an interesting kind of philosophical approach for Arthur Smith to say, this is what I want to do, but is this where our guys excel? So mm -hmm. I think there's going to be some growing pains this year for the Falcons until they can really turn the roster over and get this team uh, in the type of players Arthur Smith wants on his offense in the trenches and the skill players and X, Y, and Z. It takes time to build a team. So I'm interested to see how much we see of Arthur Smith's real intent versus what do I have to work with? And that's why I actually wanted to ask you this anyway. So I'm glad we're on this topic. It's like when you look at that depth chart, you look at that offense, what do you think their strength is? If he wants to lead into their strengths, like, I mean, do you feel like they are going to have to live in 12 and 13 personnel? Or do you think they could surprise us with the amount of 11th they play? And, you know, Greg talked about, hey, look, Olamide Zacchaeus, he did some good things last year and they like him in that building. So in your mind, uh, what do you think this Falcons offense will look like here week one? You know, a two-folded approach. I think this tight end room may be the strength of the offense. Obviously, Matt Ryan, we respect uh, his veteran leadership, no decision-making. This guy can still play. Don't sleep on Matt Ryan. But this tight end room is deep and diverse. So I think seeing them in a 12, 13 personnel and really taking some of that identity from the Tennessee Titans and what Arthur Smith did out there with the heavy personnel establishing the run, and then letting the speedy guys take advantage off play action when you want to have your calculated shot plays. Yeah. So I'm interested to see. I think we're all expecting Calvin Ridley to have a bigger role in the offense with no Julio Jones. But I never envisioned him as a high-volume type of target in this league. So mm -hmm. I want to see, is he still going to be a three for 110 and a touchdown type of guy? 
Or is he going to be that third down go-to guy where he's going to be having stat lines of seven for 65 in a touchdown? Mm. You know, I think he's going to take on a little bit of a different expectation, but they have Frank Darby out there. You have Russell Gage. You have Zacchaeus. We may just see some more involvement. We have Tajay Sharp, who came over from the Tennessee Titans. So we may see some younger guys contribute more than we think. Yeah, that's. I am very interested to see how that – pass game funnel uh, kind of defines itself as we move forward here. But Fran, uh, I mean, looking at like. this tight end group, Kyle Pitts, essentially oversized receiver, right. Aiden Hurst, pretty well balanced, you know, receiving threat and blocking threat. Lee Smith, all intents and purposes, he's an extra he's tackle. An extra tackle. <laughs> yeah, right. So it's a really interesting mix of tight ends in there. If they do go 13 personnel, I really think they could still attack you in a variety of ways. Yeah, I think that's the that is to me a, one of the big keys is that you know we talk about uh, and we talked about this a little bit with Greg, but when you talk about Kyle Pitts in a vacuum and say, oh well, you know he's basically a big receiver and look how versatile he can be. It doesn't matter what you put next to him. I get, I do get that, but if he was just in a simple eleven personnel offense. I think that's a different discussion than him in the structure of this depth chart and the structure of this team where you're playing so much 12, you're playing so much 13. Well, now his versatility can really kind of come up and be shown. Like he can be used in a lot of different ways because of the way they're likely going to have to line up. No question. Fran, Kyle Pitts will be matched up based on what the Falcons show the league. He's wearing number eight. He shows up to the tight end room. I got news for you. If we go through two weeks and he's continuously detached from the formation in the slot out wide, that's going to change how teams view Kyle Pitts. And we may get to midseason down the road next year where opposing teams say, yes, they're in 12 personnel, two tight ends, but we're calling Kyle Pitts a receiver. To us, that's 11 personnel. So it's going to be all about how they deploy and use Kyle Pitts. And then obviously we'll match up and defend him accordingly. So every week I want to kind of like focus in on one aspect of the matchup that I think is important and just kind of take uh, a top down view of what that means just around the NFL. And, you know, one thing that you and I have talked about a lot on this show, going back to last season when we had our weekly discussions and even uh, this off season, we had a number of discussions about pre-snap motion and looking at teams that used a lot of motion. Uh, Arthur Smith last year was uh, in the top five in the league, depending on what uh, service you look at, was in the top five in pre-snap motion with the Titans. So, um, you know, like I said, it's a topic we've discussed a lot in the past. So I don't think we need to go too deep into the pluses and minuses of motion. But I do want to ask you, we have discussed the differences in using motion when it helps the run game and the differences in the pass game. In your mind, what are those differences and, and how does that help an offense? Well, in the run game, I think it does a variety of things. You know, you can cause defenders to think. Anytime you force defenders to think and have mental hesitation, it typically leads to physical hesitation. Anytime you have hesitations, you typically have a step on defender and it's all over. But you also have the eye candy misdirection. So while they may hesitate on a play, they may take a false step or go the wrong way on a play. You also have to remember the hesitation going the wrong way that helps the other guys get their assignments done and leverage blocks. So there's a lot of things that it can do in the run game to really help the aspect of, uh, you know, running the football in the past game. I really think it's more about occupying other areas of the field Hmm. and using not just the vertical space and going deep, but the horizontal space. And I really think motion attacks and preys on the horizontal space and coverage of defenses. So when you see the orbit motion and jet motion and all that horizontal action, that will stretch a defense out horizontally and cause them to cover all 53 and a third east and west yards. 
And anytime you can stretch a defense, it then makes those zones and their coverage assignments that much more vulnerable and that much more stressed. So anytime you can really cause defenders to think via motion or just have them spread out more via motion, I really think it helps your offense in a variety of ways. No, it's a, it's a good point. And to me, too, the other thing I think about is with this depth chart, with this roster, and, and there's been a lot written. Hey, look, the Falcons, top-heavy roster right now. Not a lot of proven talent on both sides of the ball once you get past those top names. But when you use a lot of pre-snap motion, I almost equate it to, you know, at the college game, why do the service academies play triple option football? Because it levels the playing field. You're doing things that, uh, you know, that kind of set the, the opponent back from a mental standpoint. It makes you play a step slower. So if you're doing things to help confuse the defense, well, that can give Alameda Zacchaeus a little bit extra time. That can give Russell Gage a little bit extra time. That can, you go down the list of the rest of these guys. That can help those players out. You know, Mike Davis, he's going to be the, the lead ball carrier, it looks like, in this offense. And I do think that's one of the big things, too, in looking at this running back group. I talked about this with Greg earlier this week, but like Derrick Henry has had 300 plus carries each of the last two, three years. Mike Davis has never had more than 170. So is he going to be that bell cow? Are they going to ask him to do something he's never done in the league before? Are they going to really split it and give Gallman a lot of carries and give uh, Cordaro Patterson a lot of carries? Or are they going to back off that? And off of that, is that going to impact how much play action they run? They were the number one play action team by a, by a wide margin last year in Tennessee. So uh, how will that carry over? I, I, th- I do think it's very, very interesting, and it will play a big part in Sunday's game. You know, I think Derrick Henry's pretty special type of talent and is a pretty special physical specimen to take on that workload and really put an offense on his back. There's only so many guys like that that come around the NFL Uh, every 10 years or so he's really special but you know in motion we talked about a a lot of the post-snap influences there's the pre-snap influences too that we used to talk about for years in acquiring information and that used to be the primary aspect of motion you typically see it in the pass game a receiver go left to right a defender follows them typically man-to-man nobody follows them zone coverage that used to be one of the football 101 ways of acquiring defensive information through motion. Mm, that's a good point too. And something that I think that for the Eagles, a big uh, mental game for sure going into this one. Assignments. I almost forgot about that, job. Fran. It's gotten to be so new age with, you know, post snap, you know, leveraging and stuff. I almost forgot about just the archaic way of establishing man zone motion. Right. No, that's a, a really good point. Uh, real quick, before we get into scouting report, uh, matchups, any, any individual matchup that uh, really stands out to you in this game? Well, I think we're all interested in Kyle Pitts and how teams are going to match up against him uh, being a top 10 player and tight ends don't go in the top 10. So it's also weighing the expectations and seeing how involved he's going to be into this game plan. And if he's going to be a high volume target guy um, or just maybe a red zone threat or a shot play guy or yards after catch threat. I think he played one or two snaps in the preseason. They gave him a little yards after catch dump off of play action. He made a couple guys miss. And you know, it was pretty exciting, but I don't know if we have a linebacker on the roster to match up. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we have a safety on the on the roster to match up. This is a guy that continuously beat cornerbacks in the SEC. So I'm interested to see when we get into third and medium, third and long, who matches up against Kyle Pitts or whom. It may be more than one. He might right. be a guy you have to bracket. So he's proven to be a one-on-one nightmare in college football, linebackers, safeties, corners, whoever you have. So it's not just a Philadelphia Eagles thing. It's an NFL thing. I really want to see how defenses match up against this guy. 
Uh, it was funny in between segments recording Eagles game plan uh, on Wednesday morning uh, with Mike Quick, Ike Reese, John Clark. We were actually talking about that, and it was like it's got to be a group effort. Like I, I don't think that. And ninety percent of the NFL, ninety-five uh, percent of the NFL, they're asking the same question. Like I don't know if we have one guy on our roster that is going to match up man to man. And the Eagles, it seems like, aren't going to play as much man to man anyway. But you're still in some of those instances, you're gonna you want one guy to be able to match up, and that's what makes Kyle Pitts so intriguing. You know, and personally, Fran, after watching him at the University of Florida for the past two or three years, coming from Philadelphia area, what I would want to do is not give him free access into the intermediate and deep parts of the field. And that may have to rec- uh, take a, take away a defensive lineman in his pass rush to say, hey, Derek Barnett, Josh Sweat, I need you to bump him before rushing the passer. I do not want to allow this guy to get ahead of steam into the defense, particularly the intermediate and deep parts. I'll sacrifice the defensive end to give him trouble off the line. I do wonder, like even just watching a lot of Tennessee cutups from uh, last year and from the year before, you know, is he going to be used in the same ways that AJ Brown was used where you have so many of these tight splits, so many of these condensed splits where he's essentially in the slot. You're not going to have, a defender right on top of him. It's not going to be that ability to, to be able to reroute him uh, immediately because typically when a guy's lined up inside the numbers, you you want that defense, that defender to be backed off a little bit because you've got that two-way go. Uh, I kind of wonder if that's the role that he's able to play. Obviously, you have Ridley there as well, but I think that could be interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And I just, I can envision those LSU games where he was in a tight split, RPO concept, just running a quick inbreaker, putting his huge frame against a cornerback and him just blocking locking out the sun, you know, with that small defensive back. And what does Matt Ryan specialize in? Slants, digs, inbreakers, bang posts. I think it's going to be a perfect marriage from these uh, Philadelphia kids. Yeah, I think, and then too, just for, for me to wrap this segment up, uh, another matchup to watch, this Eagles defensive front we talked about every single day uh, this summer during training camp uh, was just so much fun to watch, but uh, watch them against the, an Atlanta offensive line that has been a weak point for them over the years, over the last three, you know two, three, four years, but then even this year now, you've got still some inexperience at right tackle. You've got uh, a left guard situation that's in flux. They were hoping Josh Andrews, the former Eagle, was going to be the starter. Uh, but now it looks like uh, he's gonna, obviously he's on injured reserve, so it's going to be someone else there. Which one of these rookies? Is it going to be Drew Dahman? Is it going to be Jalen Mayfield? Will it be Colby Gossett that they picked up off waivers uh, last week from Minnesota? Uh, you know, Who is it that's going to step in? Either way, if you're the Eagles, you got to feel good uh, about some of those matchups in the trenches. Yeah, absolutely. If that's the strength of our team, the the trenches on both sides of the ball, particularly the defensive side, in my opinion, some weaknesses on the Atlanta side, certainly their offensive line, particularly the interior offensive line. It's kind of a dangerous storm and dangerous recipe. So Mm. if we see more of what we saw against the Patriots in practice, the Jets in practice, the Atlanta Falcons uh, should have a full day. It will be a very consistent theme throughout the year, just uh, looking at the the lines of scrimmage in all of these Eagles games and trying to see, all right, the Eagles win on the offensive side down in the trenches. They win on the defensive side down in the trenches. That's a good place to start, and I think that will be something that we consistently discuss here uh, in this segment. All right, uh, let's kick you out of here for after this final segment. We're going now uh, into one of these potentially blue-chip players here for this Atlanta defense. It's time for Scouting Report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, Ben. So this week on scouting report, I wanted to take a look at former first round pick last year in 2020 uh, out of Clemson, the star corner, the number one corner, AJ Terrell. Interested to kind of get your thoughts, give us a little refresher on how you viewed him last season and then uh, what we've seen from him so far. I thought he was really inconsistent last year as a rookie. I thought he showed some flashes, 
Um, coming out of Clemson, he was a tall, long, fast corner. He was twitchy with quick feet. He was really competitive at the catch point. But some of that tall, long length worked against them, where I thought he was a little stiff-hipped. I thought his pedal was a little bit high and upright at times. Um, I thought maybe he can contribute and run support and tackling a little bit better. I thought he had a thin, kind of a frail lower half where you didn't always see that power and bringing down ball carriers. Um, but he had the 4-4-2 speed. And I wonder, Fran, if he didn't get baptized in that national championship game against Jamar Chase where right. he gave up, uh, you know, he had essentially his worst game as a Clemson Tiger, giving up 140 yards and two touchdowns. He might have been a top 10 pick in that draft. Yep. Um, that was really his worst game as a college player there. So, uh, But he was a first-round pick, went in the middle of the first round, 2020 to the Falcons, and just had a very inconsistent season last year. I think getting used to the NFL speed, route combinations, and the variety of schemes they played in Atlanta last year, I don't think really suited him that well. Um, and I think, you know, with the new defensive scheme this year in Dean Pease, you need to just figure out, are you going to be a cover three single high team and allow him to play some bail with his eyes in the backfield? Or are you going to continue this pressure man philosophy and allow guys to just take their assignments and go run with them? So um, I have some concerns and there's pros and cons with each of those avenues with AJ Terrell. I thought it was a, a really good corner class in 2020. There were a bunch of guys, obviously they went high. Uh, and it was a really talented group from, you know, you go to the first round, round two, round three, uh, but, Consistent theme, though, most of those guys had a lot of ups and downs last year, and, and Terrell certainly um, you know, had those. But I think when you compare him to some of the other guys, uh, did do some good things, and he he's got some good traits, man. Like uh, I remember, I went through my notes just as a refresher this morning. Uh, you're a really toolsy player. He certainly has the length and the athleticism. I actually worried a little bit uh, about his top end speed when I watched him on film, and then he goes and I think at the pro day he cracked four four. So like that kind of put that to bed for him. And um, you mentioned that it was that national title game that kind of left a bad taste in people's mouths. Jamar Chase just kind of they you know, took him out to the woodshed. But outside of that. I mean, he was in the vicinity of a lot of catches. Uh, you know, even if he wasn't getting the football on the ground, he was right there, and he was so close. He was a really competitive player uh, at the catch point. So um, I'm interested to see what he looks like here in year two. And I, there are a lot of people that uh, you know study DBs, that study all players around the NFL, that feel like the the arrow is pointing up with him, and he's got that ability to reach an upside that I felt like he had. It was just a matter of just getting there and playing a little bit faster, playing a little bit more confident. You know, can he be that number one corner? Clearly, they thought he was a year ago by taking him in the first round. Um, and I think he's got the trace to be able to do so. You know, Fran, I've been working in the NFL. I think I'm on like year 13 or 14. And I've been consistent with saying, I think cornerback is the toughest position to translate from Saturdays to Sundays. Yeah. And it is so rare if you just want to throw out the top 10 corners in the NFL it is so rare for them to show up and be elite yep. or even close to elite right out the gates. And that's whether you want to talk about Revis coming out of Pitt or Richard Sherman coming out of Stanford. I mean, the only one I can really think of in the last five years is Marshawn, Marshawn Lattimore. Lattimore did no as doubt. a rookie. Yep. But that is so rare yep. and almost creates a dangerous expectation uh, for these other first-round corners. But most of them typically struggle in year one, maybe even year two. Yep. Now the big test, did you, you know, uh, diminish that confidence too much? Yeah, right. Are you still a confident player to come out there? Because it is one of those positions where if They're you don't have beat. confidence in yourself, yeah. you're done. And yep. uh, I think the mental game can really kill guys. And that's what D. Milner went through, you know, being a top 10 pick to the Jets, struggled his first year, second year, 
really lost confidence. Then the team loses confidence in you. Next thing you know, you're a bust and you're out of the league. Um, I don't see that with A.J. Terrell, but it's a really tough position to adjust to the NFL speed, route combinations, the variety of schemes. Um, it's just a really, really tough learning curve. I think that that's the human element that we talk about all the time over on the Journey of the Draft podcast, and I think you're especially uh, going to see that in a position like corner where you're so under the microscope. And certainly uh, quarterback, wide receiver I would throw in there as well, where, where you are someone that's around the football uh, that's it's going to come up early and often uh, and playing defense in yeah. these days, Fran. I mean, <laughs> offense is tough to stop, right? I mean, they're lighting these scoreboards up like Christmas trees. It's right. really like the NBA where, yeah, you're going to get crossed up and dunked on and you go play the next possession. Yep. And that's what happens with corners. Unfortunately, you're going to be all over social media. You're going to make some highlights. Guys are going to make fun of you, but that's the nature of it. Just like in the NBA, you're going to get scored on but it's about the full body of work, your consistency, you know, and just coming back for that next play, having the short-term memory and staying confident. It really is a mental game there on the outside. What's the line you liked from uh, from Alan Walken, the Eagles director of college scouting last week on the Journey of the Draft podcast over my my dead body attitude uh, at that position is so pivotal. And I think that that plays uh, exactly to that. So uh, AJ Terrell, interesting player to watch in this matchup. We'll see. Uh, I would expect we'll, we'll see a lot of Devontae Smith uh, here on Sunday. Certainly a big matchup to keep an eye on. Ben, uh, we'll be back with you next week right here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Make sure you check in on Ben both week, both episodes every single week over on the Journey to the Draft podcast as well. Ben, we'll talk to you next week, man. Great stuff from Ben, who you can follow on Twitter, just like I do, at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. And while you're at it, I'm at Eagles XOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's Nose content that we produce here with Eagles Entertainment. You know how much I appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. That is one way to support the show, but the best way is to go on to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating, leave us a comment, leave us a question. If you do, we will answer it right here on the show each and every week. If you're enjoying our segments with Greg Cosell, if you're ex- as excited as I am that those segments are back go on let us know over on apple Podcasts. best way to throw us your support as the season kicks off that said uh, i told you earlier i was teeing up a brand new segment here on the show really excited to catch up with charles mcdonald let's get that conversation going now in faux focus what's this matchup look like from the other side it's time to find out in faux focus All right, well, excited for the debut of a new segment here. Again, we're calling it Faux Focus. And for this segment, I want to welcome in Charles McDonald. You can go follow his work over at For the Win. You can follow him on Twitter at 4Verts, not only for astute football analysis, but also for some some great uh, social commentary in the form of Looney Tunes memes, which I always appreciate, uh, even bringing some levity to some subjects that are not always great to wrap your head around. Charles, thanks so much for joining us here, man. Thanks. That's a ringing endorsement. You, know, you get, you get the, the whole encompassment of my Twitter account in one little sense. I like that. Uh, you know, that, that's uh, one thing that I like this year. That's not the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. There's uh, plenty to be able to take in for sure. And it, unfortunately, uh, there's always, a, it's an endless amount of material when it comes to the latter uh, as well. Um, well, Charles, let's get into this, man. I want to ask you, looking at this from a Falcons point of view, What's the biggest strength for this team entering this game on offense? Uh, what would give you confidence if you were if you were Atlanta that you can win this game based on that side of the ball? I, well, I guess my my first thing would be the addition of Arthur Smith. Like I yeah. think that uh, him coming over from Tennessee uh, is a big upgrade over what they had last year with Dirk Carter. And I just think you know when you watch that Tennessee offense, it's not only just 
obviously they have great players last year with Derek Henry and AJ Brown and Ryan Tannehill has had a, a huge resurgence in Tennessee uh, since his time in Miami. But uh, the way that it was coordinated was just amazing because just because, you know, you have all these great players, doesn't mean that, you know, you're going to be top five in red zone scoring, scoring uh, two years in a row. I think a lot of that has to do with coaching. So uh, I think Arthur Smith gives them a big boost in this game because uh, you know, you're coming in with a pretty shaky offensive line, just to to be honest. You're going to have, yeah. uh, as Arthur Smith said, Jalen Mayfield is going to be starting his first game against Fletcher Cox and Devon Hargrave. And uh, Arthur Smith said, uh, you know, everyone's got to get baptized at some point. So uh, that, that's going to be, I, I think, an area that the Falcons have to work around. But when you look at Arthur Smith, uh, you have the veteran leadership with Matt Ryan. Calvin Ridley is one of the best receivers in the NFL. And then we're going to see what Kyle Pitts is made of in his first game. Uh, I, I think, you know, that football brain kind of coordinating all these things should give Falcons fans some semblance of hope on Sunday. What is the vibe around that collection of skill talent entering this season? Is it, uh, man, we're really excited about, um, obviously, Calvin Ridley, you know, continuing to take that next step. You get Kyle Pitts in there. Uh, what is the level of excitement around that, the totality of that group of pass catchers and ball carriers? You know, I think that people are cautiously optimistic, I would say, because one thing that helps a lot is last year when Julio Jones missed time, uh, Calvin really, he showed that he can put up wide receiver one numbers at least. Uh, yep. And, you know, just his route running gives him an advantage against most cornerbacks in the league. And he's, you know, really uh, a special talent. So at least you still have uh, that baseline wide receiver one talent with Ridley. And then Kyle Pitts coming along. I mean, I know we didn't see much of him uh, in the preseason, but that one catch we saw was, was pretty special <laughs> where you, you, know, you come back on the play action concept and he's got 20 yards to run and you see like, how big and fast and explosive he is, which was what made him the fourth overall pick. So, uh, you know, those two guys are going to be the key. I think people are also kind of intrigued to see what Russell Gage does uh, as the third receiver uh, behind those two in terms of targets. And then on the ground, uh, you know, like I said before, the offensive line is uh, a question mark, I guess, to, to be a little nice. But uh, we have Mike Davis and Wayne Gallman, who they just signed the other day. Yep. Uh, personally, I think that that's a good enough running back duo to carry you through the season in terms of, of talent-wise. You're just kind of going to see uh, how these offensive line opens up holes for him. And then uh, I think an underrated piece is Hayden Hurst, the, mm -hmm. the second tight end that they have. Uh, you know, maybe if Julio was here, he wouldn't be getting a lot of targets. But we are talking about two tight end sets, which Arthur Smith is known for. You got two starting caliber guys with Hayden Hurst and Kyle Pitts, even if Hurst isn't like a game breaker in the same mold as Pitts. So, you know, they got some pieces. I, I guess the biggest thing for me is how does the offensive line hold up against uh, a defensive line that is, you know, to me, undoubtedly more talented than them. Yeah, as I talked about earlier on the show, that, that is the matchup that I'm going to be most focused in on uh, that I feel is most pivotal. Uh, same kind of question here going over to the defensive side. You're the Atlanta Falcons. What gives you confidence in, in their ability to win this game just looking at that side of the football? Uh, you know, it's kind of weird, but for the first time in a long time, uh, I feel pretty confident in the in the defensive coordinator, Dean Pease. Uh, and, you know, I, I feel kind of lame that I'm just picking both coaches. Sure, here but I, I get it, though. Uh, yeah, I, I think when you look at what the Falcons did this preseason, uh, it's not always going to be pretty because, you know, they're, they're still trying to rebuild the talent on that side of the ball. Uh, you have stars like Grady Jarrett and Deion Jones. Uh, and then, you know, in the sending town like AJ Terrell, but for the most part, the rest of the guys are, uh, you know, just kind of guys that you can find on, on most rosters. 
across the league. So it's going to come down to how good Dean Pease is at, is at coordinating this defense. And uh, I've, I've been kind of excited from what I saw in the preseason. They're going to be a lot more blitz heavy than they were last year, which to me, like if you're not totally confident in uh, the personnel you have, like let's just go wreak some chaos and, mm. and try to bring it to the offense instead of sitting back and see uh, what they do to us. So I'm, I'm excited about that. Uh, I'm excited to see just like where they do, where they call the blitzes from. And I think one cool thing that you see with Dean Pease going back to his time in Baltimore and Tennessee is the way that he'll bring just a four man rush from like different angles where they'll have, mm. you know, a slot cornerback dropping back and a linebacker off the edge, uh, dropping back in the coverage or, you know, defensive tackle in the low zone while someone else comes. So, you know, you're still getting your, uh, seven guys in coverage, but the four guys rushing are coming from all over the place, which I think will kind of help them be a little bit more unpredictable as they try to surprise people and have a, a more solid defense than maybe people are projecting. And that's the thing, I guess, when you've got some of those pieces up front that aren't necessarily like household names, but uh, are versatile pieces. I mean, Brandon Copeland and uh, Tuioti yeah. Mariner, like you have some of these guys that, yeah, they've got that ability to move forward and backward, and that does help from that versatility standpoint. And I guess my last question on this side of the football is this. I think a lot of Eagles fans, very familiar. All right, Grady Jarrett, blue chip player. Deion Jones, blue chip player. Uh, A.J. Terrell, first round pick last year on the upswing. We talked about him uh, in the last segment. If you had to pick this game and say, okay, here's another guy that has the ability to really make a big impact on that side of the football, that's not one of those three names, uh, who would that be for you in your mind? Uh, I'm going to go with, uh, I hope I don't mess up his name, Foye Luakun. He played linebacker for them last year. He's he's kind of an interesting guy because at at Yale, he played safety. And as soon as the the last regime, Dan Quinn and Thomas Dimitrov drafted him, uh, they put him down at linebacker, and you really see that speed. Like, if you're an Eagles yep. fan trying to get a preview of things that he can do, go back and watch the game against the Raiders last year, which is when they kind of started to, you know, toy around with more blitz concepts than they were uh, pr- before Dan Quinn uh, was was let go by the team. And, you know, he's a guy who's not only has, like, the speed and finesse that you like, but he'll bring it and, and pop a fullback in the mouth and offensive lineman, uh, offensive lineman in the mouth too. So, you know, he's one another guy that maybe is not the most consistent down and down guy, but his athleticism really helps him make some big plays from time to time. I just can as soon as I saw, all right, like kind of putting things together, Dean Pease is the defensive coordinator. Uh, that speed that Olo Kuhn brings, I mean, he's going to leverage that for sure uh, as far as uh, being a blitzer from the second level. Uh, I think that is something big to watch for in this game for sure. Uh, last question, get you out of here. Most pivotal matchup in your mind, uh, either side of the football. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go back to that Falcons offensive line yeah. for his uh, Eagles defensive line matchup just because, you know, I, I just don't really see like <laughs> – how the Eagles defensive line doesn't come away like with a pretty successful game on Sunday. Uh, you know, Daley Mayfield is starting to do the injury uh, left guard. You're going to have Matt Hennessy who didn't start last year, starting at center. Uh, and then Caleb McGarry, who's kind of been all over the place uh, coming back and starting at right tackle. You know, it's just a group that is still kind of growing and, and, and finding out how to play uh, in the NFL. You know, I, I'm, I feel good about where, Jake Matthews and Chris Lindstrom are as players, but you know, that's only two of your five stars. So mm. we're going to have to see how the rest of the guys perform against a pretty tough test against the Eagles. Uh, for what it's worth, you know, the Eagles had two sets of joint practices here this summer against New England uh, and against the Jets. And I felt that in both of those weeks of practice, the Eagles defensive line was the best overall position group on the field 
for either team uh, over the course of those two weeks. So uh, I, I do feel like that is going to be a strength of this football team. And, I, and that's why it's such a pivotal matchup for sure uh, in this game. And one that if they're going to win, that's an area where they're going to have to obviously excel. Right. Yep. Totally with you. All right. Well, Charles, dude, this has been great. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Everybody, make sure you go follow Charles again on Twitter at 4Verts. Go check all of his stuff out at For the Win. Charles, thanks again, man. Thanks for having me. The Philadelphia Eagles and New Era introduce the Fly Collection, an elevated, boldly branded apparel capsule with streetwear appeal that's different from your standard Eagles fan gear. The collection sees bold new graphic expressions of the Eagles brand on apparel essentials like hoodies, t-shirts, jackets, and headwear. The designs are kept simple, mixing fresh modern branding alongside bold punches of color available exclusively at all Philadelphia Eagles Pro Shop locations and the team's official online store. Learn more and view the entire capsule at philadelphiaeagles.com fly. Well, great stuff there from Charles. Thanks so much for him being the first guest in our Faux Focus series that we will start every single week now uh, on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Before we wrap things up, I mentioned Eagle's game plan a couple times earlier. I wanted to close out the show every week. We're going to do two shows a week every every week here uh, during the regular season. I wanted to close the week out with just some of the things that are left from the cutting room floor. Great analysis that maybe we couldn't squeeze into the 20-minute show for Eagles game plan, but I wanted to share with all of you because it's still great analysis from John Clark, Greg Cosell, Ike Reese, Mike Quick. Go on down the line. I wanted to make sure anything that I could pull out that could still be useful, we'll throw it here on the podcast. Let's go to that clip right now. The other thing that Dean Pease really believes in is pressure. And he believes that you can pressure with any number of players. In fact, he wants the offense to believe that any one of the 11 defenders could be part of any blitz package. That's a philosophy that he has. And what you'll see here, and this is from the preseason with the Falcons this year, you see him show a double mug look. And the way pretty much everybody in the league blocks a double mug look is the center blocks one of those A-gap players and a back will block the other A-gap player. And that's exactly what the Titans show here. So what does Dean Pease do? He brings a third A-gap blitzer. This is a triple A-gap blitz. And there's no one to pick up the defensive back because there's no one there. There's no extra blocker to do that. And the key part of this, Dean Pease knows that the back will be part of the protection, not releasing freely into a route, so we can add that extra defender into the blitz package. These are the kinds of things that the Eagles and Jalen Hurts will have to be aware of. It's a very, very important study week. Let's hope the Eagles are prepared because Dean Pease will bring a lot of different looks, disguise, late movement, and pressures, some that Jalen Hurts may never have seen before. And when you look at this Falcons defense, give me an idea of the strength of the defense. Is it the linebackers? Where do they have the strength with their defense? To me, it's it's the Achilles heel of the team, and that's why Dean Pease was brought in, to fix what was ailing this defense. And you look at the defensive line, guys like Grady Jackson, you look at their linebackers, you're going to get speed up front, but there are no true dynamic players there. So this is where the scheme is going to come in at to help the playmakers. What Atlanta is going to rely on, at least early in the season, is Dean Pease and his ability to find the weakness of an offense to attack it. This defense is more about scheme than it is personnel. And they may have a weakness maybe at one of the cornerback spots. Uh, Nick Sirianni 
He's all about matchups, right? He'll find that? It's all about the matchups. You've got Fabian Moreau on one side, A.J. Terrell on the other side. And on the back end, they're guys that they bought in. You don't know how they're going to mesh together yet, but the key is, as Ike said, moving people around and trying to be a dynamic defense through scheme and not necessarily personnel. But there's another player that's now absolutely important to this offense, and that's rookie Kyle Pitts. Now, Pitts, you can put tight end, you can put wide receiver before or after his name. It doesn't matter. He will line up all over the formation. He can beat corners, he can beat safeties, and there's no way you want a linebacker matched on Kyle Pitts. So Pitts will play a lot of snaps along with Hayden Hurst in their two tight end packages. And that will be something that the Eagles defense must contend with. But this is an offense that's very defined. The Eagles will know what they are getting from Arthur Smith and that Falcons offense. The key is stopping it. And when I'm looking at an advantage the Eagles may have in this game with the Eagles defensive front, the Falcons have a very young offensive line. They're yes. dealing with an injury with Josh Andrews, so they have a rookie there at left guard. I believe Fletcher Cox can be lined up on that rookie. And Matt Ryan, he's been sacked, uh, I believe, the third most times in the NFL over the last three years. Do you think this game could be won at the line of scrimmage by the Eagles? I think they're all won at the line of scrimmage. And you're right. When you look at the matchup, that's where I think the Eagles have a huge advantage because of that young offensive line. The center, Matt Hennessy, second-year guy at a temple. The left guard, a rookie. The right tackle has a problem with speed. So when coaches look at this offensive line, they try and find the weak points, and they try and attack those weak points. If you look back at the summer and how well the Eagles did defensively, that defensive line against the New England Patriots, against the Jets in those practices, I think that's where the game is going to be won at the defensive front. Yes, they want to get the ball out quickly to those little crossing routes and all the things they like to do. They like play action, but the Eagles can win the line of scrimmage against this football team. And the top four running backs for the Falcons from last year, they're all gone. They're going to try to run the ball. What are you seeing in their running game? Well, listen, they brought in Mike Davis from Carolina, big back. Yep. He's one of those guys you know you're going to have to tackle, wrap up, gang tackle this big guy because when he gets going, he is tough to bring down in the middle of the field. They are still depleted at the running back position. I mean, Cordell Patterson is back there, a former wide receiver being converted to running back. They brought in Wayne Gallman, who's been a little bit of a disappointment since he's been in the league. But the Eagles have to do a great job, as Mike just said, controlling that line of scrimmage, winning with the defensive front, and then your linebackers, get downhill and make tackles. Mike Davis can be a problem if he gets going. Thanks so much to Charles. Thanks to Ben. Thanks to everybody out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts here with Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you next week.